Welcome to our Portuguese Table Podcast. I'm Maria Lott, and these are in Green Bean. And I'm Angela Samoz, and we're just two chicks dishing about Portuguese food, culture, and what it means to be Portuguese. So grab a glass of vinho or um copo de café and join us as we talk about our favorite foods, reminisce about growing up Portuguese, and interview some of our community's most successful chefs and food writers. So, so sit, sit down, down at our Portuguese, Portuguese table. table. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Our Portuguese Table. I'm Angela and Maria. How are you? Hello. Hello. Hola. Hello. Hola. <laughs> it's been a, a few uh, a few since we've sat down and we, we have. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. So and, here uh, on today in, in California, I should note it's uh, we're kind of in the midst of those fires. And so it's a little smoky out here. Oh, um, And I just wanted to make sure that everybody uh, was being safe and that we, you know, send our, our thoughts and prayers. I know everybody says sending thoughts and prayers doesn't do much, but there's also lots of ways to, to donate to the victims of the fires. Um, mm. so we'll, we'll put a link to our, to that on our website as well, because it's yeah. pretty devastating out here. So I mean, it's two years in a row of fires. I know it's really crazy. And, yeah. and we're, we're like feeling, so where we are in the Bay area, we're getting the smoke, um, where we haven't gotten any fires, thankfully. But, oh, um, okay. Yeah. We're getting, uh, so now we got the scratchy throat and we're getting a stuffy nose and stuff like that, but that's nothing compared to what other people are going through. So absolutely. Our just hearts horrible. go out to them. Yeah. Absolutely. So I just wanted to, to give that shout out and, and yeah. acknowledgement, but, uh, today I'm actually really excited about our guest today because, mm -hmm. um, I want to hear about, mine? well, that, I mean, that always helps, but, um, Her, I'm just excited to hear about her path and how she, um, it just sounds like the dream kind of everything, like you grew yeah. up, you know, and, yeah. and living the dream anyway. But so let's, let's bring in our guest. Her name is Anna Diogo Draper, and she is the winemaker at Artessa, the state vineyards and winery in Napa, right? Welcome, yeah. Anna. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, Whoa. everything was perfect. <laughs> I'm very excited to be talking to you ladies today. Oh, we're happy to have you, Anna. So we, we've <laughs> only had uh, one other winemaker, um, yes. Robert Morey, who's a, who's a friend. And I'm, I'm thrilled that, that you're a female winemaker. Um, but I'm also, <laughs> I'm also, I was reading your story on the Artessa website And it just really sounds like a fairy tale. I mean, maybe, you know, that's the, the job of the person writing the content on the website, but I'm so curious and eager to hear about, you know, growing up in Portugal. Did you grow up on a, on a winery? Because it sounds like you were exposed to this from a very, very early age. Yeah. Tell us well, your story. Tell us your story. For those that haven't <laughs> read, for those that haven't read that online, just tell us your story, hon. Um, so growing up in Portugal, my family, we don't own wineries or vineyards, which was actually one of the reasons why I ended up coming to California, because there was so much opportunity for women in, in the wine industry. But obviously, in Portugal, the wine culture surrounds us. And mm -hmm. um, we had uh, my dad is from the south of Portugal, from the Alentejo. And we spend a lot of time there, and there's a very strong wine culture down there. Uh, we had friends that had small vineyards, and we used to help them with harvest and making, you know, 
kind of for a weekend, we just hang out, making picking up the grapes and making wine. And it, it always kind of stroke, you know, I've always enjoyed that, that process. And then I, when it was time to decide what to study, I knew I wanted to do something related to agriculture, but I wasn't sure what. So I studied in the South in Evora. In a beautiful little town in the south yeah. of in Galen, part, part of, That's part of the fairy tale, right? Like, oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I've been to Evoda and it, I've, I actually took a tour of the university and it's, you know. It's uh, gorgeous. Oh, it would happen all the time. We would be having classes and tourists would walk into our, our classes <laughs> all the time. Uh, it was a really fun place to go to school and we had a, a really interesting uh, pedagogic um, farm and winery there. And in my third year, I decided to take a wine class, and I was very lucky. Our, the our professor was his name is Paul Lorian, who is one of the biggest winemakers and one of the biggest names of winemaking in Portugal. So he was not very academic; he was very practical. He just had this really great passion about winemaking and wine. And by the end of the semester, I was completely hooked, and I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to do it. So I decided I did some research in university did a harvest because that was his first his first advice and is always my first advice to anybody that wants to be a winemaker is work a harvest so if you want to be a winemaker or work in the wine industry it's a lifetime commitment for three months of the year you have to dedicate your life to to grapes and the wine and the fermentation and so I just I loved it (laughs) as I say it you either got it or you don't or you love it or you don't and I did I really fell in love with it I really enjoyed it and then in 04 I decided I wanted to do a a harvest abroad and um, I've always been very curious with California and kind of fascinated about it so I applied and did an internship at a winery and it was fantastic I I love the experience. I got to work with um, a lot of women winemakers. I love the opportunity that women in the wine industry had in, in California. Very different for, from what was happening in Portugal back then. Unless your family had a winery or a vineyard, you really it was very hard to move up. And I knew I wanted to be a, a winemaker. I, my, I'm very ambitious. I knew what I wanted. I was determined. I knew I had what it, what it took to, to do it. And so the experience was great, and to the extent that they invited me to come back. So they sponsored my visa and invited me to come back in 2005. And initially, the goal was to be here for two or three years, get experience, and then go back to Portugal. But same old story, I met my husband, and (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and he also works in the wine industry. Um, I'm from Sonoma County. We live up in uh, Santa Rosa in beautiful Sonoma County. And I I also fell in love with California. I really think this is one of the most incredible, beautiful places in the world. Sonoma County actually reminds me a lot of Portugal. It does. So I felt at home home right away um, and was quite of an adjustment. There's definitely some cultural changes to to adjust to, but um, I've been here for Oh my God, 13 years. <laughs> and, and, and I love it. I, I, I call California home now. Yeah. So, so it's interesting that you said, so in Portugal, unless you were already part of a wine family or something like that, there wasn't a lot of opportunity there, which, so it's not like you could just start your own wine label there because I feel like 
here in, in California, at least or in the States, it's like, if you want to start a wine label, you start a wine label, right? Yeah. You can I mean, yeah, um, figure out how to do yeah. it, but it could, you know, it's a very but saturated even, market, but you could absolutely. still do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Even here you need, you need a great investment and in, in Portugal. Now you're starting to see more and more people start, but back, you know, 13 years ago, you would go and work mostly for a winery. It was very Got hard it. to start your own label. Now you see a lot, there's a lot of interesting things being done um, in June. I, I, I go back every year, but usually I go back for a week or two. And this year I really needed to recharge and kind of, I always say I need to go back every year to remind myself that I love being here, but at my core, I am Portuguese. Yes. And so I spent a month there this year and I, it was really fun because I, because I had more time, I got to spend time visiting wineries. I we spent a week in the Douro region, which was really fun. And so really to connect with that part. And I, there's a lot of interesting things being done now, but still the majority in, in the South of Europe, it's a male dominated industry and in the U S same thing. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that is a male dominated industry period. And even though like, like you were saying, your, your family did not have a vineyard, but my family did, my dad did. And, oh, and so when growing up, I was part of Vindimage all the time in part of, uh, part of the harvest and to seeing the harvest and the fun that came through it. And then when uh, coming here to the United States, obviously it was no longer our vineyard anymore. It was us getting grapes from California and having <laughs> it come here to the, uh, to the East Coast. But there was that fine line. It was the men making the wine and the women were, you know, making food for the men who were making the wine. Yeah. And as a young girl, I wanted to go downstairs or go to the area where all the men were making the wine. <laughs> I wanted to see it. I wanted to learn how to make wine. And I was told and pulled by my grandmother or whatever woman was, you know, blocking the door that, you know, women were not allowed. It, that's a man's job. And, and I am so sorry for that. I am so, so when I, we knew you were going to be here today for this, I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this because it, like Angela said, it's, it's something of a dream. It's something of, as a young Portuguese girl, (laughs) to learn how to make wine and not being allowed to learn. Does that make sense? it does. That's sad, but maybe we had another women winemaker lost to the world. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had the curiosity, maybe you had it in you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really think you have to be, and to, to get where I, I, where I got, where I am today, you have to overcome a lot of obstacles in the male-dominated industry. And I have a family. I'm married. I have two young boys. It's a very demanding job and you really have to hurdle all these obstacles and to be very determined and really know what you really, really know what you want and, and, yeah. and go after it. And I'm, I think in, in California, uh, I speak different languages. I think speaking Spanish is a great, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. A, a great thing and speaking Portuguese to really connect with most of the crews um, in, in, in the wine industry in California the salad crew come from, from mostly from Mexico. And so I think there's that connection and that empathy from day one 
because there's not a language barrier and there's just a connection from day, day one and um, embracing and being hands-on. You know, I, I, I love getting my hands dirty, getting into tanks, shoveling tanks, helping in the sorting line, doing all sorts of things. And I think that part's very important. And then you just, you know, when you're told no, you got to move forward, but it's, it's <laughs> find another way. Find women, yeah. It's easier to find women in more baselines as assistant winemakers or in the lab, but to get to leadership positions as being the director of winemaking or head winemaker, to be our president of our test as a woman also, to be in a leadership position, I think you really have to prove yourself worthy of the position you hold because you're a woman. I don't know if it makes sense. You kind of have to prove yourself more. Yeah. And, and well, it's, it's, you have to work twice as hard. And exactly. it's, it's, a, it's a bummer to hear that is still the case in today's day and age because we think, oh, gosh, we've made such strides. But, I mean, if, if that's the reality, then, you know, we're still, we're still having to, to, you know, work to prove our worth, which, you know, we, we women are never strangers to, to hard work, so we can no, do it. But not at all. No. But, you're, but people like you, Anna, are, are such a great example of what can be achieved. And so I hope that people will look at your, your path and be inspired. And, oh, and you. Um, so you said that, you know, one of the first steps is to work a harvest. Um, how do you do that? You just call up a winery and say, hey, I want to yes, yes, work okay. a harvest. I was going to say, even here in uh, New England, there is a small vineyard in uh, Rhode Island, if I'm not mistaken. And not too long ago, it was almost like a little press release in the paper saying that they were looking for people to work the harvest they oh. were for, for people. So, Angela, you can get out there and you can work a harvest out there. Well, other people can. I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, in the East, wine industry in the East Coast is 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 growing. Um, the the I know the Finger Lake Finger Lakes region, and I think Norton, um, New York State. Um, there's yeah. a lot of a uh, wine industry is big there. Um, there are different different websites. There's a website called WineJobs.com, which is the best place. Oh. And, Okay. Um, February, March, um, you start seeing all these ads for internships saying looking for a harvest intern. And then you can in do an internship in the laboratory or in the cellar itself as, as a cellar hand. To be in the lab, you probably need to have some basic knowledge of biology or chemistry. To work in the cellar, every winery will hire people with some experience, but every winery will also hire people with no experience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, but I always say it's a very committed job. You you don't have, you work 12-hour days, no weekends. Sometimes you work seven days in a row. It, that's why I'm saying you really have to love it and be committed to it or by the, by <laughs> when you reach a month into it, you're like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and if you know, it's a commitment for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's worth it. If you have a passion, if you think that could be the path you want to go, working a harvest is definitely the first the first thing to do. So I will totally agree with you that it's one of those professions. If if it were like you said, it requires especially the three months out of the year of like sometimes seven days a week. It's a total life commitment because. 
if you don't like it, you're going to hate it by the end of the first day, right? If, if or the first week. And, uh, you know, for me, <laughs> I joke and say, I'm not going to work the harvest because I, I kind of know what it's like. So by, <laughs> by my great, my grandparents, so my, when my great grandparents immigrated from Portugal, they had a, a fruit ranch uh, here in California in Newcastle and they grew, they had uh, some, some, it was, I don't want to call it a vineyard, but they had some, some grapes, right. And, and they would sell the juice. They weren't, they didn't make wine and sell it, but they would um, harvest the juice and then sell the juice to different people, I guess, who made wine. And of course they had their own stash to make homemade wine, but our family continued the harvesting of the grapes um, even when I was a kid. And so every year, all of us would go up and we'd pick the grapes and we'd, you know, our, our dads and grandfathers would uh, crush the grapes. We had this big cement square crushing pit, whatever, you know, you call it. It was very old school, rudimentary. And um, I knew from a very early age, I'm not an agricultural girl. I just am not. <laughs> I'm not. I was, I was raised in the city. It was like, ugh, I gotta go out there and pick these grapes. And it was fun. Like I look back on it now and it's great memories and we had, and we have fun and, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But it certainly didn't make me think, oh, I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> really? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and, what, and what's funny is, is, you know, when I was out in, um, in California, when I was out in Napa and snow uh, and out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and I was driving through, we were, we were going through and I just, I, I loved it. I just mm-hmm. loved it. And like you were both saying before, it feels in it like Portugal, like you're in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And it, it does. And my first thought was if my parents had, and at one point it was debatable whether we were, you know, a lot of people going out to California. If my dad had gone to California, that is where we would live. We, we would have lived there. I, I could, I could absolutely see my, my dad continue doing what he was doing mm-hmm. in Portugal there in California. And I would have probably taken over. I, I, I just, I have that feeling. I just have that feeling. It's a, for those that have never been to Napa, you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to go. It is just so beautiful to see the rows and rows of the, um, of the grape plants and, and just, just the be mm-hmm. it's just beautiful, just yeah, beautiful. Nice. And everything is meticulous. It, I, um, I, I loved it. And especially also loving to go there and, you know, tasting the wine as you go into the different vineyards. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the best part, of course. <laughs> so, and I'm curious too, if you could talk a little bit about the style of winemaking and cause uh, you know, uh, there are people who love to do the wine tasting and can taste the different notes of things. And then there, are, I hate to say it and uh, please don't take offense, but then there are people like me who I'm like, I like it and I don't like it. Like, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't um, pay attention enough to wine to, to really kind of get into it, but there are people who are like connoisseurs, right? So talk a little bit yeah. about like your style and do you flavor or do you favor particular flavors or notes or like, do you have a signature style? And then, you know, how does that translate into someone who's like, well, I want to make, I I think I want to make wine, but you know, how do you figure out your style and, and, you know, make it different than the bazillion other wines that are on the market thing, you know? Yeah. You have to taste a lot. That's the first thing. And and you, your palate gets, 
adjusted to what you're tasting. So when I moved here from Portugal, I loved the fruit component of the wines, but everything felt very flat to me because mm. th there was a lack of acidity in the wines compared to European wines. And also wines were so much more alcoholic than, than wines that we, we consume in, in Portugal. <laughs> you, yeah. know where our, you know where our priorities are here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but we have this ample sunshine in California. I mean, it's one of the most, I think, insulated um, areas in the world. And so it's hard to beat that. But I definitely think I have, so after drinking a lot of California wine, I think I combine both things. I, I, I definitely give a, an European twist to, to the wines. Mm -hmm. My wines tend to be lower in alcohol. I don't go for those big, very extracted wines. I really love a, a nice acidity, bright acidity in the wine. I think that also is what gives ageability to the wine. So the capacity that once the wine is in bottle, It will last mm -hmm. for a long time and age nicely um, in, in the bottle. Um, our test is owned by the Codorniu family. In, in, so it's the oldest Spanish um, wine producing families. They're actually the oldest company in Spain. They've been making wine since 1551. Oh my gosh. I know, it's insane. And so we produce Iberian varietals. We make an Alvarinho, or as we say in Portugal, Alvarinho. Uh, we make a Tempranillo, or we would call it Tinta Juris in Portugal. Um, and so that part is really fun. It was one of the reasons I really wanted to come work at Artesta. I wanted to work with um, Iberian varietals again. So I'd say I, I look for, and also I like to do kind of low intervention. Um, so um, I do a lot of native fermentation. So I don't add commercial yeast to the wines. They just ferment with the natural yeast that we have at the winery. It gives the wine a lot of texture, um, kind of a peppery, more this um, layers of intensity. Um, but I also like fruit-driven wines, like wines that are bright. And then mm -hmm. I love to eat. And so I really want wines that complement <laughs> food. So I love that wines that pair nicely with food. For me, that's what's about, you know, opening a bottle of wine, drinking while I cook, and then enjoying that bottle with dinner or having a you know a table with family and friends and enjoying opening some bottles of wine and um, talking about it and, and, and enjoying it over a full table of food. That's to me, that's what wine to me connects with food. And so mm -hmm. I like to, to make food friendly wine. Mm, nice. And I actually, I make, I also make my own label for a company called nakedwines.com. Really? And I make Portuguese varietals for that <gasps> blend. I had no yeah, idea. Really? I do. I do. I make a port style wine made out of a field blend of Portuguese varietals. I make a Torriga Nacional, which is a Portuguese varietal, very popular in Portugal. I make a Tempranillo and I make a blend of the two. So that part's really fun to be able to make, produce Portuguese varietals in California. So making oh, these Portuguese that. wines with a California twist. Yeah. Well, I just heck, we got to, okay, now I'm on the website and I need to go, like, find <laughs> where your wines are. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah. so talk about that. How did you get started with that? So you were at Artessa for a while and then what? That, that, I started that before I, I came to Artessa. Oh, really? Get out. So, yeah, that started in 2012. Um, it's a company started in the UK and then um, I met the founder in, in Europe years ago and then in 2012 they came to California and so 
I pitched to make wine for them and they said yes. I did it with a friend, another woman winemaker. The two of us made it together for a few years. And then she decided to focus only on her full-time job. And I started doing it by myself. But we've been doing Portuguese varietals since 2013 was our first vintage making Portuguese varietals. And they're out of Amador County, which is a great area, this very unique vineyard. Um, and yeah, it's really, really fun. I'm actually debating making wine in Portugal and maybe even one day bringing it here. So a lot of ideas of this trip to Portugal really brought um, a lot of there you are. crazy I'm on ideas the in my head. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, okay. So I'm on the website. I found you and I'm going to follow you. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the wines are all sold out. They're actually, they, they do really, really well. And so the next vintage, the 17th vintage, will be released in the springtime, next year, next spring. But and yeah, then, uh, I hope so. <laughs> that's really great. So we'll definitely include this link in our notes for the podcast. And I see Thank it. I was you. just looking. There's a lot of, not a lot, but there's a few other winemakers from Portugal here too. So Yes, it's, it's a great website. It's a you great can, platform. You, yeah, you basically it's almost you crowd crowdfunding independent winemakers and it's like a wine club but you build your own wine you buy the wines you, you you decide you want and you can buy wines from all over the world including wines from portugal that are sold here in the united states you can buy mm-hmm. wines from italy france from australia from all over the united states there's wines from washington from oregon a lot of wines from california and you're basically supporting us to make these you know go and find these different varietals or make these different styles of wine. It's a really fun project. Very cool. My gosh. So like there's so many places to go from here. Um, (laughs) Do we go like, I'm just, I'm like just staring at your website going. Well, the the first thing that's coming to my head right now is asking you, what is your favorite wine? Yeah. To to drink. Yes. Um, It depends. In the summertime, I love, um, sparkling wine, bubbles, and uh, nice crisp wines. Um, I love rosé, um, a nice Albarino. Those those are the wines I favor. And then in the wintertime, I really enjoy um, Pinot Noir. I, it's a very hard wine to make. It's very challenging, but it's really fun to drink. And I also really go for um, red blends. Just I think red blends have a really nice balance. I love Portuguese red blends, especially ones from the Douro region. I really enjoy them. And I love a nice, well-balanced Cabernet also. I think a well-made Cabernet, it's hard to beat. It's a really unique, versatile varietal. So my, I, I drink everything. <laughs> and winemakers, we say it takes a lot of beer to make to make wine. Um, so in the wine industry during harvest, we actually tend to drink more beer than than, than wine. It's, a, it's kind of an inside joke in the, in the wine industry. Um, but I, I kind of play along depending on the time of the year, what I enjoy drinking. Yeah. Very nice. So um, have you ever done like a dinner of Portuguese foods and then you pair some of your wines? Have you ever done one of those? Like what's your, do you have like a favorite? Portuguese food? Yeah. Portuguese food. I have, I have, I have not, not, not what? yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I have not. I'm actually doing a, a dinner for, for, for Naked Wines with the with the, the Tempranillo tomorrow night in L.A. 
um, but it's not going to be paired with with Portuguese with Portuguese food. I'd love to one day. That would be really really interesting. Uh, okay, so I I already have some event ideas in mind. So after the podcast, <laughs> we'll chat and we'll we'll get a few things going. Okay. Oh uh, my God! Yeah. Yeah, we have to. We have absolutely. To so okay, so let's get into some of the food questions then. So, do you have a favorite Portuguese dish? Bacalhau. <laughs> claro, claro. <laughs> what, yes, what? I love bacalhau is one of my favorite um, fish. I mean, when I go to Portugal, I eat two things: fish and uh, black pig, porco preto. Um, oh, nice! Uh, lots of pig. I lo- absolutely love it. Um, oh, I start talking about food, I go nuts. Um, <laughs> Sardines in the summertime. I love to eat grilled sardines. It's hard to find here. We find them frozen, but they're not. They're not the same. So I stayed away from that. Um, polvo octopus is another favorite of mine. Mm, um, I really enjoy it too. And bacalhau. I love bacalhau. I cook. I cook bacalhau quite, quite a, quite a lot. And then all the Portuguese desserts. That's one of the things for Christmas. I still. I usually always spend Christmas here because having. Two kids, they want to be home with with their things, and um, I always do all the filhoche, the sonhos, all the Portuguese fr- um, deep fried with uh, lots of cinnamon sugar. Um, nice. So I- like a, like my grandma, I spend the whole day in the kitchen cooking, or like my mom. <laughs> so, do you like a, a particular style of bacalhau, like just cozido or gomesada, um, or uh, gomesada is my favorite. Yeah, but the is my favorite. I actually there's um, um a great it's a supermarket slash restaurant in San Jose, and whenever I drive by, uh-huh. I go stock up on all this food. And they I they, every time I go there, they have this gigantic tray of bacalhau um gomchai, and I always bring some some home with me. Uh, but I also love bacalhau abraj. I I do that mm-hmm. quite a lot. So, yeah, yeah, that's delicious. You say just just pack up the tray and I'll take the tray home with me. Of <laughs> and, and just, I bet you, and in San Jose, is it in Little Portugal? It's the same place we yeah, went to. It's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. right in the middle of Little of Little Portugal. We actually are very lucky up here in Sonoma County, in um, outside of Santa Rosa in Windsor, in Windsor, no, in Rona Park, we have a little uh, Portuguese bakery slash a grocery store called really? Nine Island. Yes. Oh yes, I forgot about Nine Islands. Yes, so Nine they sell Islands, groceries yeah. now too. They sell some groceries, frozen. They have cheese, Portuguese butter. Yeah, they sell. They have like a little grocery store at the at the bakery too. So I go, That's I great. go there quite a lot. That's yeah. great. Nice. So everybody go to Nine Islands to get your. your <laughs> and then we have <laughs> like, we have uh, La Salette in Sonoma. Yes, which is we fantastic. Yes. Portuguese restaurant and they just opened a little tapas place. Yes. Um, and I think the chef there is doing a lot of interesting things at the Portuguese hall in Sausalito too. His, yeah, well, he's been doing the sopas for their uh, Holy Ghost yeah. Fest for the last few years and it's, they're pretty bomb diggity sopas, I gotta say. We love Manny. Manny. We, oh, Manuel, I should say. <laughs> we love Manuel. Um, so, yeah, we've been very lucky that I've been very lucky to uh, to have met him and to have eaten at um, the tapas place, and I think he's he's amazing. He's an amazing, amazing chef. Yeah, and, uh, yeah he's very talented, great person. And yeah, yeah, really, really fun. And I, it's really interesting to see. I go. I, I I don't go. I should be more involved with, I guess, 
Portuguese culture here in the Bay Area. I do take my older son to Portuguese classes at the Sausalito Portuguese Hall, which is oh, a great. thing mm-hmm. they do there. So he hates it, but I make him go. <laughs> Good <laughs> for you. You're in a the good middle Yes, I know. He'll thank you after. He will. Absolutely. I know. No, that's what I keep telling him. (laughs) How old is he? He's nine, nine years old. He's nine. Old. I know. I, uh, I had, uh, our daughter is five or Aurelia and we had her in classes for a little bit and she was getting really bored. And then, um, we, we took her out because it was taking me an over an hour to get to class at the end of the school day. And I was just like, I can't do this. So I'm still trying to find another class for her. Um, even though she says, I don't want to go. And I'm like, Oh, you're going, you are going <laughs> <laughs> you, and enjoy the break now because you are going. As, yeah, <laughs> I, I, every time I go to Portugal, I also bring lots of books. And um, there's actually a great company called, I think it's Lidl, and they have technical mm-hmm. books for children. So I bought a few this year. And now that harvest is over, we are going to do twice a week Portuguese hour and study, starting oh, to. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. More. Yeah, it's, it's very important for me that they, they're connected to their culture. They have, they have dual citizenship, so they're, they were born here, but they're also Portuguese. So it's very important to me that they keep their connection to, to Portugal, well, for sure. And do they enjoy going to Portugal? They love it. They really, really like that's it. Great. And that's the part for me with language that's most important is that immersion of being there and being with, with a family. Absolutely. Yeah. They do. They do. The little one is three. He's happy wherever he is. But the older one, he, he enjoys it quite a lot. Yeah. No, that's great. I know I, we keep saying that uh, we need to go or try to go at least every year so that uh, Aurelia and then Alexandre, when he gets older, you know, will enjoy it. So then we can say, oh, you should go to college here. And then we can, <laughs> and then we can move, you know? <laughs> you are playing at that angle since oh, the man. first time I met you. <laughs> since the first time you've been saying that, you're going, oh my God, I just hope that Aurelia will one day will want to go to Portugal for school. I know. I'm, I'm working it hard. I'm really working it hard. You are working it hard. I don't want, I don't want to go to college. I want to go to college in Fremont. And I'm like, well, there's no college here. <laughs> I actually plan to send him when he's in high school there for a year to study there. I'd love that's to great. do that too. That's great. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. So I'd love to do that too, but I don't know. I'll hope and he or my husband. That's my secret idea. So, and <laughs> well, after they hear this podcast, it won't be a secret anymore. <laughs> it's a, it's a great idea though. And, and it's so affordable. I mean, yeah, compared to yeah. our school here or, or private schooling yeah. here, or even just uh, yeah. uh, even public um, universities here. So it's so much uh, more affordable over there. And you don't have to, and you actually don't have to be a citizen and you can still get a, a much more affordable education. So yeah. if you are a citizen, they have, I think it's 5% of the openings in universities there are safe for, for immigrants. So if, if you are, if you do have some double citizenship, mm-hmm. you have, um, like if you want to go to medical school, for instance, versus going to medical school here and pay a fortune, you can go to medical school there and it's actually almost easier to go in than being in Portugal. You have, I think it's eight or ten. I'm not sure if it's five, ten percent of of openings in all Portuguese schools are safe for for immigrants, for people that are abroad, but they are Portuguese. Yeah, that's good to know. I didn't know that. 
Absolutely. And that was one of my things. I wanted not just Portugal, but I, for me, they are European community citizens. So they have this wide range of schools they can choose from to go to. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted them to be Portuguese for their connection to Portugal. But I definitely I'm with you. I had school in mind and giving them all these different options when, when it's time for them to decide what they want to do. Mm hmm. So we're kind of jumping around because yeah, I, I know we're I want to get talking about your favorite food, and I know yeah. you like bacalhau. And the thing, what, what? Let's just say you're in Portugal. You first thing you want your mom to make you when you get there. What is what? What is it that you crave that your mom makes? Oh, oh my God! So our soup is amazing. Uh, it's my grandmother was the best soup maker in the world, so I always want my mom to make me to make me some soup and uh almondigas meatballs which are a little different oh. than what we eat our meatballs here but it's one of my comfort foods when i was a kid and she makes them i i tried to replicate and i cannot do it the way the way she <laughs> the way she does it um but then i my mom she she my mom likes to cook but doesn't love it <laughs> and as oh. she's getting older i think she's like trying away more so um I, I like to eat out a lot when I'm there, and there's all these all these restaurants in Lisbon that I really enjoy, and uh, in the Alentejo, particularly. Um, when I go there, I always ask my my aunt, my godmother, to make me some uh, migas, which mm -hmm. is oh, very okay. Beautiful. Love migas, yeah. From the Alentejo, and my 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 god my godparents, they there's their migas is the best, and there's this few restaurants. There's Migas Spargos, so asparagus migas, is another one of my favorite dishes. And there's this one restaurant in Stremoz called Adega do Isaías, which is a very traditional restaurant down there. They've been open, for, I think, for over 50 years. And I always try to go there. So there's a few things that are very regional that I go. Maybe my mom doesn't cook it at home, but I, we go straight to the Alentejo to, to eat it. Alentejo is my is my favorite place to, to be in, in Portugal. If I go to Portugal and I don't go to Alentejo, it almost feels like I wasn't there. <laughs> Interesting. And that is where your family is from? My mom's from Lisbon. So my, 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 my mom is from, was born in Lisbon. Uh, my grandmother's from Lisbon. And then my dad's family is from, from the Alentejo, yes. And oh, okay. Because I went to school in Evora, I lived and worked there for, I was there in the, in the area for almost 10 years. So I'm, I've, a deep connection. That's where I want to retire. Is in is in Alentejo. Mm, nice. We have, little, we have a little house there, more up north in um, near Marvão, so uh, near Porto Alegre. That's where my dad's at. So um, I love, but I love all of Alentejo. I really, really enjoy it there. Nice. So, well, you're talking to two other women who want to retire to Portugal. Yeah. So. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Though I may not be retiring till I'm like 80, so I don't know. Adrian will already, my husband will already be there for sure, but um, no, you're yeah. not gonna wait till you're 80. <laughs> it's harder now. It's very Portugal. I had I, I I didn't go for two years. I tried to go every year. I didn't go for two years, and the tourism there it really yeah. blew me away. It's really yeah. taken it and and. With the good and bad things, a lot of people in Lisbon that lived in the old. My mom is from Alfama. That's where my my mom was born, and my grandmother's wow. from. And those old neighborhoods in Lisbon, they're getting a little bit discharacterized. A lot of people yeah. are yeah. buying houses for Airbnbs, and people that have were born there live there all their lives. 
it, there's some dramatic situations there. So. Right. Yeah. Right. It's unfortunate. Yeah. 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 It's unfortunate. I was actually watching, um, uh, I think it was a news segment or something, or maybe it was a video on YouTube about um, in Croatia that uh, Croatia has become overrun with tourists because they filmed a lot of Game of Thrones there. And and people are going to take the Game of Thrones tour and things like that. And so you have, like you said, like these older people who have lived in the city center their entire lives. It is no longer this uh, quaint old European uh, town who are literally being run out of of the town by tourists and then people coming in and buying up properties and things like that, that they're starting to revolt and and asking the government to put limits on how many tourists they can accept, you know, in the, in the city center. I don't know if it's per day or per year or whatever, but they're asking to impose some limits. Cause yeah, I mean, cause when people go, they're not as conscious of preserving the area around them as the people who live there. Right. It's like, no, you can't just throw your trash or beat up on something. You have to, respect the fact that that stone has been there for 500 years. And if you ruin it, you know, you're, you're the, the end to that 500 year, you know, it, it lasted that long and then you had to ruin it. Right. So um, I, I totally, I get it. And I think something very similar is that's, that's happening in Lisbon already and starting to happen in Porto too. Mm-hmm. With, and then there's good things. There's a lot of, you know, the buildings that are degraded that are now being recovered. So that's mm-hmm. incredible to see both in Porto and Lisbon, a lot of buildings being recovered, but, you know, Portuguese salaries very low. And when all these rents start going up, it just makes people lives completely unaffordable. So I think it's what we live here in the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> and now, unfortunately, but our I think our salaries here are very different than what they are, what they are in Portugal. So I think it's, uh. There's different some, than anywhere yeah. else in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. Yeah, yeah. For, sure. for sure. For sure. So I'm curious, well, there's one question that we try to ask everybody and you're in a, in a unique position having, you know, been born and raised in Portugal and then being here for 13 years, but still kind of, you know, being connected. And so the question is, what does it mean to be Portuguese to you? Oh, so bad always. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, um, I don't know. I get very emotional very easily. I think Portuguese are, we are, we have our hearts on us on our on the sleeve. I don't know how to say it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think um, I think we're very emotional. We're very connected emotionally, and I think there's that longing. There's that that so that that nostalgia that I think Portuguese have. I feel like a lot of people I've met here carried that also, mm-hmm. but at the same time, this 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 joy and this kind of eagerness to eat the world, almost in a way, <laughs> it's kind of dichotomy between 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 both 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 things and loving to eat. Portuguese are obsessed with food and wine. I think we, <laughs> yes, you know, I think we're one of the only countries where you know. We used to joke in my family, we're finishing lunch and everyone's already talking about it. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, And I think that connection and I think there's and that's definitely something very different from 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 that I've from the United States, that family connection. I think we're very connected to our families. There's more of an organic way of living in family Mm -hmm. than I think people have here, you know, like 
you know, kids, they're 18, they leave the house. And for me, it's like, what do you mean you leave the house? You know, <laughs> Portugal, <laughs> kids live in their houses until they're 30 years old. What are you talking about? Um, and so there's more of our organic feeling, I think, with family. But I think that there, there's that longing and being a Portuguese here is having one foot in, in California and always one foot in, in, in Portugal. And um I call it kind of my Alice in Wonderland life because I live here, but my life there continues. My family is there. My friends are there. People are born. People die. And, you know, my life there continues with the people I live there. So it's kind of that, that strange that strange sensation. And I feel at home here. My home is here for sure. But there's a connection there that will always linger. And I I, I really strive that my kids, I'd love for my children to have it too, and 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 eventually will disappear. I I don't know. I think, but I and then I see you guys that you know you're saying your great grandparents came here, and mm-hmm. you're still doing podcasts about Portuguese people in California. So, <laughs> I, and, or and there's so much you see so many cultural um, things in California at least, um, and and I think people there's there is a connection. Some people have never been to Portugal, but they're part of. Portuguese halls in their community. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of belonging, I think. That that mm-hmm. that is fantastic. To see. I I think once we have our children exposed to the culture, we keep them exposed to it, we surround them with it, it takes a hold of you. Mm-hmm. It really does. And that longing, that sudaj, all of that, you know, that's that's my wish. And I know that's your wish to uh, Angela is for our children to have that same love that we have for it, you know, and, and the only way is to bring them there to show, you know, where their DNA comes from. This is it. This is a part of you. That's a part of here. And, and that continues at home when we're in the United States with continuing with the food and the language and this and so forth and so on. But I think once it gets a hold of them, I think, and I think that's why it'll always continue. But there's something, but there's something in our DNA so, so I, my, my first real exposure to the channel RTPI was when I started dating my husband and his parents, that's all they watched was RTP. And it, and it was kind of, a, it became kind of a joke, like I'd go to their house and be like, I don't want to watch the Portuguese channel. That's all we watch. Right. And I always, and I always, noticed, but, and I always noticed that there was always a movie or a documentary series or something about the history of Portugal, whether it was a, the life of a king or a queen or, you know, the, the, the explorations or there was always something about the history and, and our heritage. And I thought, gosh, the Portuguese really, they love their history and they love their, their, their past. But then I look at our community here and we're very much the same way. It's, and kind of like how you said, Maria, it, it like takes hold of you. And I don't know if, if that's something that's unique to the Portuguese culture, because I, I don't know other cultures as well. I'd say maybe Greek. Um, the, I have some Greek friends and, and they seem to hold on to their heritage pretty strongly, but it's like, even if you're not a hundred percent in the community and you don't go to Feshlas all the time, even if you're like half Portuguese, like you strongly identify with the Portuguese side, right? Like every time, every time I meet somebody, you're like, well, I'm half a Portuguese, but I'm Portuguese. I'm like, I'm Portuguese. And, and you know, Uh it's just something that, um, 
almost defines them. It's very, uh, it's a big part of who they are. So, and I don't know if that's just, uh, there's the, the, I don't know, you want to call it like a magical part of, um, a magical part of the Portuguese DNA that once you have it in your blood, like that just makes you feel like this is who you are and you will be proud and you will, you know, have this uh, longing to go. And I don't know, it's just, it's kind of hard to explain, but I just find that no matter if you're from there or you're from here and you have Portuguese ancestry, you're still very connected to the heritage part. Even like I said, even if you don't go to festivals all the time, you're still very, um, I guess, proud you know, yeah, to, to sure. be Portuguese. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's an, like, like the word saudad, it's an unexplainable phenomenon in our community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wanting it. I think sport is another big thing. My older son is big into fo- football, into soccer, and he's absolutely obsessed with the Portuguese national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, he's a Benfica fan. I'm a sporting fan, so. Yay, football sporting. it's a generated but um i think um sport is a big connection too and i see that in a lot of when i go to san jose they have the Benfica house porto Mm -hmm. house sporting house and i think through sports you see a lot of connection too it's really interesting to see that too um yeah that's translated quite a bit longing that connection is always all both things that both of you said i i absolutely agree and it's hard to explain but it's the whole culture and it's the connection with the, the traditions we have, but it, they always tie back to food. And that, to me, the food then all ties back with, with the wine. And Portuguese wine is becoming very popular in the United States. It's mm-hmm. having a big, um, it's it's affordable compared to wines that are produced in, 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 in Napa and Sonoma um, specifically, but um, it's becoming this kind of unknown wine region. It's at, and I'd say in the last two to three years, Portuguese wines have had a big, big boom in the United States. Well, can I say something in regards to wines? I think Portuguese wines are undervalued. And I, I'm, I'm happy and I'm sad about it at the same time. I'm happy because I can buy this amazing Portuguese wine that comes from either the Douro region or the Alentejo region or that I can buy for $19.99 that if I were to buy Italian wines or French wines to come to that same caliber, it would be, you know, a $40 bottle of wine or, you know, whatever. Yeah. A lot or a lot more. And so I understand, you know, how people are like, oh my God, this is really delicious wines because they have it in their head that, you know, unless it's French or Italian, it's not a good wine. And, but we've been making wine for a very long time and uh, and we know what we're doing, but it's so undervalued. It is just so undervalued. Well, and then you have obviously port wine is still, and, but then even Ving Veerd, which is the one that everyone knows now. And it's, 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 you know, you find it everywhere. Even the big grocery stores now have, have, have Ving Veerd being sold, but you still find some, some of the Ving Veerd that is, not the, the highest quality being there, right. but you yeah. open any publication of the big wine publications, the, I, I don't know, top 100 wines of the world, you'll find that more and more Portuguese wines, there's more yeah. and more articles about Portuguese wines in those publications. And I think little by little, Portuguese wines will become, I don't think they will ever be mainstream and mainly because 
we are a small country and we don't have the ability to produce those volumes to export massively. And I don't think we should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we have these varietals that are really hard to pronounce <laughs> um, <laughs> here. Um, but I think people are very curious about it and they're definitely discovering it and finding that, in, like what you're saying, that incredible value. I mean, you can yeah. buy a great bottle of red wine, Portuguese red wine for $10 and that's hard to find in a, in a, in a California wine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Unless, you know, for the same quality, you would have to pay much more. Um, and I, I hope that um, that there's investment in, in Vini Portugal and Portuguese government to really take the momentum of this curiosity with Portuguese wines to export more of these higher quality wines into into the U.S. because there's curiosity and there's definitely there's definitely a market here for that. Absolutely, and and also I found funny when I was in um, in the Azores and going into the grocery store and buying wines that. Of course, we see here. So, uh, of course, I could recognize a few of the labels and all of that stuff. And then there were, of course, $2 bottle of wines. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's what, you know, the $2 and the $5 one is what people are buying there. Yeah. So when you buy, oh, my goodness, you know, a little bit more euros instead of two euros or five euros, you're spending, you know, uh 10 or 15 euros, they're like, oh, that's so expensive because, you know, the $2 one is fine or the $5 is fine. We kind of put our own stuff down. We don't elevate it sometimes. And that pisses me off like to no end (laughs) because I would start, I would be bringing wines over to my family's house, you know, we're having dinner or whatever, and I'll bring wine with me or, you know, we're going to enjoy some wine. I'm not going to enjoy the $2 bottle of wine. I'm going to enjoy the real good bottle of wine. And, and for some of the people that were there that live there, it was the first time they were trying that wine. And that, that angers me to that point where, why aren't we promoting our own wines to our own (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, I don't get it. Well, I think so a couple points, <clears throat> the, with the price point. So, you know, one of the things about wine is that the more, even if it's more expensive, doesn't automatically mean that it's going to be a better wine. No, no, you're absolutely because, right. Because for me, I've had, you know, a $10 bottle that I enjoyed much more than a $50 bottle. And, and I hate to tell the person, your $50 bottles. Shit. I'm sorry. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't enjoy it. But, um, whereas like on, in my experience, whiskey is a little different. You buy a $50 bottle of whiskey, it's going to be way better than the $5 bottle, right? That you, for sure. Um, (laughs) but but the the beauty of wine is wine is so subjective. Right. What, what you Maria might try, Angela might hate, and I might say, "Eh, it's okay. And that's, that's the true. beauty of wine. There's no right or wrong. That's it's, very it's, true. It's, it's, it's so subjective. And also the experience. You may try a wine in Portugal. You're sitting by the ocean having this beautiful uh, meal. Yes. And you say, oh, my God, this is the best white wine I've ever tasted. And you bring that bottle home. And then home you're like, it's okay. But you can't <laughs> replicate. Yeah, yeah. Because wine is so much also about the experience where you are and where you have it. You know, like, or if you went around with a table with family, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas. Just the the story behind it is you make an emotional connection with that experience, that sensory emotional connection. But to, to being so subjective, 
to me personally is one of the beauties of winemaking and wine. I love when someone says, I hated a wine. And the person next to it says, it's the best wine I've ever tasted. I like that subjectivity. I like that um, division between how, how people enjoy wine. I think it's a really cool thing. And with Portuguese wine, that happens a lot because some of these wines are very different than what people are used to drinking here. No, it's very, so no, it's very true. It's more divisive too because of that. No, it's very true. And so the other point I was going to make on the the price point thing is that I, you know, my husband and I, we enjoy sort of educating people, especially about port wine, because more often than not, people will like bring us, you know, we go to a party or, um, and they've brought a bottle of port, but it was, it's a California port. Right. And um, we're like, oh, you know, they're not bad. Right. But have you tried one from Portugal? Oh, no, no. You know, because this one was more expensive. So it certainly must be better. And we actually went to the store with a friend of ours. We were on our way to a party and he was coming with us. And and he said, well, I'll buy some port to take with us to the party. And so he picked out a bottle from California and we said, no, get this one instead. It's from Portugal. And he said, but this one's like $40. It, it must be better. And like, no, 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 just get this bottle. I know it's only $12.99, but get this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be better. And he said, we'll get both. How about that? And we'll taste. Well, okay, fine. So we get to the party and sure enough, we open both and he tastes the two of them and hands down the one from Portugal is better, even though it was only twelve ninety nine. And so it's just one of those things too, where uh, I don't know if it's because of where it comes from or of how they do it or the grapes are different or whatever, but I will, I have found that yes, there are some, some pretty good uh, port wines and 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 I know that you actually make one called Dosi Fort. I'm looking at the label, which is beautiful, by the way. Um, yeah, they're Portuguese styles. The, yeah, the labels. <laughs> but I, I have to say, every time I've tried the Portuguese port, the one from Portugal, it's always better. So I don't. I don't it's know. also the varietals. The ones in Portugal are made with these field blends of Portuguese varietals, and mm. a lot of times in California or other places in 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 the U.S., they could try to replicate port wines. The varietals are different. Obviously, it's going to be a completely different terroir because they're grown in California. The one I make, it is made with Portuguese varietals. <laughs> but I agree with you. But I also think it's the price perception because, like your friend was saying, oh, this one's $40. It has to be better. Yeah. And I think there's still a lot of that perception with, with consumers here in the U.S. But then when people from Europe, I, we get guests here a lot from Spain, from Portugal. I get some, a lot of guests here from Portugal, too. And when people see the price of California wines, they're completely outraged. They don't yeah. understand how wines can. And for us here are the production costs. The land is expensive. Right. The, the, the price of fruits more expensive. All production costs in California cost four times more. And therefore, the wines have to be priced at that level. It doesn't mean, and I, you can't compare saying, well, this $40 ball of wine here would be the same as a $10 of wine, because it's hard to make those comparisons. It could be, or it could not. Um, you just kind of have to embrace the difference between be, between both places. But I, I really hope that people in Portugal see the potential for the market here and how eager people are to find these new, these, these wines and mm -hmm. I go to these tastings in Vini Portugal. They make a tasting in San Francisco every year. Um, and, and I try to go as much as I can. And I always find these incredible wines. And then a lot of them, they don't have distribution in the United States. And they have a hard time finding them. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's that is the if someone's part. listening, wants to do it, 
that's a good, um, I think, segue in the marketplace that is not fully explored, which is representation of these incredible wines that um, I think could have a great future here. Yeah, no, the distribution part is um, is you're right on because even uh, our friend Alexander from Ginja Nine, where he gets his Ginja from Portugal, he's uh, you know his biggest challenge is finding distribution throughout the United States. So it's yeah, like in cer- it's certain states, but uh, he's still I think trying to break into parts of the East Coast. So yeah, distribution is a big one. Um, well, we have reached an hour, ladies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Anna, I know you uh, you have a very busy schedule, and uh, we thank you for giving us so much of your time. Um, thank you. It was so, so nice talking to both of you. I really appreciate awesome. it. Thank, thank you. you. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a true pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing this and showing our community to to the world. It's, 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 it means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Absolutely. We, we have fun doing it. Otherwise we wouldn't do it. Right. Just like, (laughs) just like being a wine, a winemaker, being in the wine business, you have to enjoy it. Um, But um, yeah, Maria, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add, but we can. No, I mean, this has been wonderful. I'm again, I'm glad I'm repeating what Angela's just saying, but I know how busy you are and, and we've tried so hard to get you on. So I, we really appreciate you taking the time Mm -hmm. and doing this and sharing your story with everyone. Um, That means a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. And please, I invite everyone to come out to Napa Valley and Sonoma County and visit wine country. Um, We had actually a lot of less people come this year, I think, because of the fires last year. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't I think people, when they planned their vacation, they stayed away, but we're open for business. It looks still beautiful in here. And um, I invite everyone to come and visit us. And the next thing we'll have to work on is a wine tasting with Portuguese food pairing. Yes, 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 I would love to. I think that needs to be done. We need to call Manny. Manuel, what do you think? That would be wonderful. Yes, I'd be completely down for that. I'd love that. You are reading like, my you are reading my my mind. <laughs> yes, reading my mind. Love so it. Yeah. I'd love that. Um, this has been incredible. So yes, so everybody go visit Artessa and then log on to nakedwines.com and look up Anna Diogo Draper. And it says a lot of your wines are out of stock. So I hope you are, are making another batch. Yeah. So the 17s will be bottled. Well, I have a Tempranillo from uh, Paso Robles that is getting bottled in a couple of weeks. That should be out in December, January. And then, um, the the other Portuguese varietals, um, will be out in the port probably in the springtime. Okay. All right. Well, we're counting, <laughs> counting on you. Counting on you. Awesome. Thank you um, so much. It was thank, a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you Anna. And thank you everybody out there for joining us and listening in. And um, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any other questions for Anna or, you know, just go visit her or if you want to intern or you want to think you might want to get involved in um, becoming a winemaker, I'm sure she'd be happy to answer any of your questions. So just let us know and we'll, we'll pass on the message. Um, and if you haven't hit subscribe yet to... I mean, what the heck are you waiting for? I know. I don't know why we have to say this every time, but uh, hit subscribe on on uh, iTunes or on SoundCloud. Both of them have apps in, um, in the App Store and on Google Play. Or actually, the App Store doesn't. The iTunes is not, but it's on Google Play yeah. as well. Um, and then uh, share it with your friends and family, and please leave us a review, even if it's just a one sentence and a rating. 
we really uh, appreciate the reviews that we've gotten so far. It does help people find us who are looking for podcasts on Portuguese topics. So please do us a solid and uh, and leave us a review. And with that, we will say até a próxima. Até a próxima, querida. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Thanks again for listening to our Portuguese Table podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do so on SoundCloud or iTunes. And all episodes can be found on our website at www.ourportuguesetable.com. You can also reach us at feedback at ourportuguesetable.com with comments, questions, or suggestions. Até, Até a próxima! próxima.